The Irish picked up their second safety commit in the class of 2024 this week and will likely pick up another on Saturday. But yet, something still seems off about Notre Dame's approach to the position this cycle, and I'll tell you why coming up next. You are Locked On Irish, your daily podcast on the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up and welcome to Locked On Irish. Today is Friday, June 23rd, so happy Friday to each of you and thank you for making this your first listen of the day. As always, you can watch a show on YouTube or listen wherever you get your podcasts. But whether you're watching or listening, I appreciate you joining me here today. Before you get your weekend started, and if you like what you hear, you can subscribe to the show to stay up to date on all future episodes. I'm Tyler Wojcik, and I'm the host. I'm a Notre Dame alum and have been podcasting about the football team for the past four years. I've also been covering college football as a producer since 2018, first for ESPN and now at the Fox Sports headquarters in L.A., I'm back from vacation, and I'm excited to be back in the mic because we've got a lot to catch up on, frankly. Notre Dame's prized recruit in the class of 2024, four-star quarterback C.J. Carr, had a strong performance at the Elite 11 last weekend, but I've seen a lot of overreactions about his showing in Redondo Beach, uh, just a few miles down the road from me, actually, and I feel like we need to set the record straight on that. But first, we're going to do something new on the pod, something you've never heard me do before, and that is talk about safety recruiting on this podcast. So, this week... Notre Dame picked up a commitment from three-star safety Tabron Benny Powell on Wednesday. Uh, Benny Powell is the 63rd-ranked athlete in this class, the number 866 player overall. So I know what a lot of you are thinking. Why would Notre Dame take a commit uh, at that level this early? It's sort of consistent with what they've been doing on defense in this class. They've taken a couple guys who are not recruited very highly, but there's a lot more uh, that goes into this story. So let's get into it. So Benny Powell, he's listed as 6'1", um, 170 to 180 pounds. He's a pretty he's a pretty big kid, um, definitely looks the part like a college football player, and he plays football at L- Lakota West High School in Cincinnati, Ohio. And this is really important. This is the main thing that you need to know as it pertains to this recruitment. Lakota West is the same high school that Notre Dame safety Ben Minnick went to, and this is very important because Lakota West head coach Tom Bolton He uh, is one of the best high school football coaches in all of Ohio, and he said that uh, Benny Powell actually played out of position last season. He's supposed to be a safety. He's what Notre Dame is taking him as. But last season, uh, because Minnick was at safety and then their other safety, uh, Malik Hartford, who ended up at Ohio State, Benny Powell had to play out of position his junior year and played like a rover linebacker type position. But this year, he's going to play his full varsity season at safety, and that's going to be very important for him and his development and what it will do for his uh, trajectory as he is getting ready to play at the college level. So as for Tom Bolton, this is uh, one of the best high school football coaches in all of Ohio. He used to coach at Cincinnati Coleraine for over a decade uh, Coleraine is one of the best programs in all of Ohio as well. They've been a powerhouse for quite some time. And as Jamie Uyama, friend of the program uh, of Irish Sports Daily, points out, seven of Bolden's players at Coleraine went to play on uh, play college at Cincinnati. And six out of those seven players were big-time hits. The one player who wasn't, his career was cut short due to injuries. So this coach is a pretty impressive hit rate. And as we know, there are plenty of Cincinnati connections on the Notre Dame staff. It starts with the head guy, Marcus Freeman. He was the defensive coordinator for the Bearcats from 2017 through 2020. And then Mike Mickens, the Notre Dame quarterbacks coach, he played at Cincinnati from 2005 through 2008, and he was their quarterback coach in 2018 and 2019. So this is what it comes down to. Tom Bolden is a proven coach. He has great relationships with people on the Notre Dame staff, and his word goes a long way. And he says 
that Tebron is next, and he's going to blow up this year now that he's playing his natural position. And on one hand, I, I understand if some of you are like, okay, well, that's his high school coach hyping up his player. Of course he's going to have great things to say about him. In some cases, yes. And I think that a lot of coaches are going to publicly praise a player if they think he sucks. That's that's probably not going to happen. But when it comes to recruiting and it comes to the connections with coaches at the college level, your word goes a long way. And when you start putting guys in the college level uh, at a, on, on a frequent basis, like Bolden has at Coleraine and now at Lakota West, it, his word, like he's not going to lie to these coaches. He's not going to lie to these college coaches and tell them, you know, if a player isn't really ready or if he's not going to be good. If Bolden says that that player is going to be good and then he ends up sucking or he has a great work ethic when he really doesn't, and then it finds out, and then the coaches, the college coaches find out that Bolden was lying to him or just wasn't being fully truthful, now all of a sudden those coaches aren't going to take Bolden as seriously with players down the road and it, hold, and it hurts Bolden's credibility. So clearly the Notre Dame coaching staff trust Bolden, and I would say that Bolden's resume is good enough to to make you understand why they would trust him. And I think that if he's praising Tabron Benny Powell in the way that he has, it's encouraging for sure. Now, this doesn't mean that he's going to go into the college level and he's just going to dominate wherever he goes. Like, he still is ranked the 866th player in this class. There's no guarantee that he's going to be good, but I think that's important when we under when we think about why Notre Dame would take this commitment and why they would take it so early. I think it's fair to question why Notre Dame decided to take him at this point in time. Why not wait and see how his senior season plays out once he's actually playing the position? You can see actual game tape of him on Friday nights playing safety. I get that, and I will get more into Notre Dame's approach to safety position in this entire cycle coming up in segment two, but I want to stick on Tabron Benny Powell real quick because I think uh, he deserves some time here on this podcast. So his recruitment came together really quickly. Notre Dame had him on campus for the evaluation camp. They really liked what they saw. They offered him. And if you look at his other offer list, like he's got Duke on there. He's got some smaller schools, but clearly Notre Dame was the biggest school that was looking at him. And then he ended up committing to Notre Dame not long after. So I think you got to just trust the coaching staff on this one. Um, I, I don't think there's enough film out there to really make a judgment like, oh, this is a great get or this is a bad get because he's playing a different position. He's playing Rover. That's not what he's going to play at Notre Dame. That's not what he's going to be asked to do. So I can't sit here on this podcast and say, oh, this is a slam dunk hire. This is a diamond in the rough. This guy's going to be great at Notre Dame. But I also can't say, oh, well, his ranking is this low. He's going to suck. I think that's unfair to him. It's unfair to the Notre Dame coaching staff. So I'm going to be optimistic about this one. Notre Dame now has two safety commits in the class of 2024. They got Kennedy Erlocker, uh, another recruit who isn't ranked tremendously high, who also played a bit of a linebacker position last year. But this year, he says he's going to go to college as a true safety. And now we'll have to see. Tay Johnson, the four-star athlete, is going to make his or he's going to make his commitment official on Saturday. Notre Dame looks to be in great shape for that one. If Tay Johnson does commit to Notre Dame, that would be three safety commits in the, in the class of 2024. And that by itself is a good thing. I've talked a lot um, about the recruiting misses over the past several years at safety for Notre Dame in some years where they didn't land a single safety. So numbers were thin this season on the depth chart. That's the main reason why they went out and they got Antonio Carter III out of the transfer portal. So from a number standpoint, Notre Dame appears to be in good shape. But I, I can't help but look at these rankings, be a little bit concerned. This is, these aren't uh, like Peyton Bowen type players coming to Notre Dame, um, at least right now. However, if they do get that commitment from Tate Johnson, which I think they will, he will be the highest safety, our highest ranked safety to commit to Notre Dame uh, in terms of like the national overall rankings since Kyle Hamilton. Tate Johnson is listed as a safety. Some schools are looking at him as wide receiver, but Notre Dame is looking at him to play safety. And once he makes his commitment official, I think Notre Dame uh, is going to have three guys in that class at safety. And that's a good thing. Notre 
Graham needed numbers at the position, and they're getting that. But the story doesn't end here, in my opinion. A lot of fans have questioned Notre Dame's approach to safety recruiting in this class, and I think they're fair questions. Um, so coming up next, I'll take a look at how we got to this point and where Notre Dame might go from here with safety recruiting in the class of 2024. This episode of Lockdown Irish is brought to you by Bird Dogs. I've raved about Bird Dog shorts before on this podcast, and I'm here to do it again because they're just that good. Not only do they make you look better, they're way more comfortable than regular shorts that are made of a stiff, restricting cotton. Bird Dogs fix this issue by inventing cloud knit fabric that looks just like hacky but stretches, so you get a waist slimmer fit without having to sacrifice movement. So not only can you wear these shorts to the gym, but you can wear them on the golf course, out to lunch, really wherever you want. I just wore them on a run earlier today, and they are extremely comfortable. They absorb sweat, and they look good. So I would highly encourage everyone listening to this podcast to go to birddogs.com slash lockedoncollege. And earlier I said you'd have to enter the promo code locked on college to get a free Yeti style tumbler with your order. That's not the case anymore. If you order from birddogs.com slash lockedoncollege, the free Yeti style tumbler will come in your order automatically. You won't, you won't have to enter a promo code. So get to birddogs.com slash lockedoncollege ASAP. Get yourself some new shorts and a nice coffee tumbler to go along with them. And once your shorts arrive, you won't want to take them off. That's a promise. Thanks again for making Lockdown Irish your first listen of the day. As I said before the break, Notre Dame will likely have three safety commits in the class of 2024 once this weekend is over, including Tate Johnson, who would be the highest-ranked safety to commit to Notre Dame since Kyle Hammond. That's great. Notre Dame needed safeties. It looks like they're getting them. But Notre Dame's approach to safety recruiting in this entire cycle has been pretty confusing to me, to say the least, and I think a lot of other fans are as well, based on what I've been seeing on the message boards. Some of you guys out there are, you know, you're concerned. You're seeing these rankings, and you're like, why is Notre Dame doing this? I thought Marcus Freeman was going to come here and then immediately start grabbing only four- and five-star guys. I would point out that the blue-chip ratio at Notre Dame is higher than it's been in a really long time, in large part because of Marcus Freeman. But looking at safety and looking at, really, the entire defense as a whole in this class, it's been a bit of a dip, at least compared to the past couple seasons while, while Marcus Freeman has been on staff. So let's go back to the beginning. Notre Dame swung and missed on a couple five stars pretty early in this recruiting cycle. They went after five star Peyton Woodward, uh, excuse me, Peyton Woodyard, who is a safety over here in LA at St. John Bosco. They're a national football powerhouse. That's where DJ Uyunglele went to school, along with many other great high school football players who then went on to do great things at college. Peyton Woodyard is also Kyle Hamilton's cousin. So there's a connection there. Great football pedigree in the family. Unfortunately, Peyton Woodyard is committed to Georgia. Uh, again, another five-star defensive player committed to Georgia, not really breaking any news here, but Notre Dame tried. They didn't get him, and even though I think he's taken a couple of a couple official visits since he committed to Georgia, it doesn't seem like Notre Dame is in the race at all anymore. So, you know, take a big swing early on. They swung and missed. That's fine. They also swung and missed on Mike Matthews, another five-star safety. That's fine, too. They also went after four-star safety, Dewan Lane and Jalen McClain. But Lane ended up picking Penn State, and McLean recently committed to Ohio State. It looked like McLean was going to take his official visit uh, in the month of June to Notre Dame. That didn't end up happening. He is committed to Ohio State, so Notre Dame is out on both of those recruitments. Although I will say the Dewan Lane one might not be over. I'm not saying, I'm not reporting anything here, but his recruitment in its entirety has just been sort of strange. So I don't know. Maybe Notre Dame will get in, into the picture later, later on, but I doubt that because just of a pure number situation right now. So Notre Dame went after some big-time guys who they thought could fit into the Notre Dame culture. They could fit academically. You know, all the off-field stuff that Notre Dame has to check the boxes for when they're looking at these recruits, and they didn't get any of those guys. So going after them makes sense, and missing on them is a little bit more forgivable. Is forgivable. But then there's a couple really questionable stuff, uh, or questionable decisions, I guess I should say, and a lot of them happened recently. So you've heard me talk about Marquise Gallegos, the four-star safety out of high, uh, out of California. He went to Chaminade High School, and 
This one is a little bit peculiar because Notre Dame had his high school coaches, the, the Chaminade high school coaching staff, on campus to show them around. And it sounded like he had an official visit lined up uh, in the second or third weekend of June, and all of a sudden Notre Dame decided to cool on him. I've heard different reasons as to why. Some people think it's because Notre Dame realized that Gagos is probably just going to stay home and go to California. Okay, probably, but why not give it a shot? Why not try to bring him on campus and give it one last swing and try to get him to commit to Notre Dame? The coaching staff clearly likes Notre Dame. The family has talked about Notre Dame before. They went on the visits, and they had, they had said nothing but great things about Notre Dame, the coaching staff, the campus, all of that. So why would Notre Dame just decide to move, move on from him so quickly? So that's one that I didn't quite understand because I think Gallegos is a really, really talented player. He's a four-star. He's I think just outside the top 250 player nationally in 24-7 sports composite, I thought he was great. I was really hoping that Notre Dame would land him, and then they decided to move on. They also started recruiting three stars, Oliver Miles and Paul Mankey, pretty late in the cycle, but made up ground quickly, so much so that both of them took took official visits to Notre Dame this past month, and they didn't get commitments from them as quickly as they hoped, and then they moved on very quickly. Why? Oliver Miles is still uncommitted, although it does look like he's trending towards Texas Tech, which is uh, his one of the schools in his hometown state. He's from Texas. So, you know, I get that. Texas Tech is on the rise. Um, but still, I, I don't understand why Notre Dame was so ready to be like, all right, we're, we're good. We're moving on from him. Paul Mankey, he chose Duke a week after everyone thought he was going to commit to Notre Dame. He came on campus, and you started seeing a bunch of crystal balls projecting him to pick Notre Dame. So you're thinking, wait, is there a silent commitment in all, already in place? And then he got cold feet and decided to take his official visit to Duke that following weekend, and then he committed to Duke a few days later. It sounds like Notre Dame's coaching staff moved on from him the moment he decided to take his official visit to Duke. I know the Notre Dame coaching staff, they have that policy where if a player commits publicly and then they take an official visit elsewhere, they look at that player as an uncommitted prospect. That's Marcus Freeman's rule. That's the staff's rule. We can, you know, debate why or why they shouldn't have that policy in place, but that, that's their strategy. The thing is, Mankey hadn't committed, at least publicly, so as soon as he decided to take that official to, Zoo, to Duke, Notre Dame was like, all right, we're moving on. I don't really get that. I think Mankey's a really good player, so we'll, more on that in a bit. Then there's Anthony Robinson. He's another guy that Notre Dame offered late, even had him on campus and everything, but he's been an Ole Miss lean for pretty much his entire recruitment, so they tried and likely failed. He hasn't committed yet, but it doesn't seem like he's going to go to Notre Dame. I guess what I'm trying to say here is I don't understand the sense of urgency to get a commitment from these guys right now at this point in the cycle. Like, why would Notre Dame be so eager to take a guy like Tabron Benny Powell, who hasn't even played a full season at safety at the high school level, over a guy like Paul Menke, who probably just needed another couple weeks to make his decision? I would love to ask the Notre Dame coaching staff why they're doing this or why this is their approach, but they're not doing any interviews or anything like that right now. They're not going to talk about their strategies on this like on, on specific recruitments like this. So I just I'm not really getting that aspect. Tay Johnson, he's I think he's likely going to be a great addition, but he's another player who is a great athlete. He's very versatile. He plays a bunch of different positions for his high school team, but it's probably going to take at least a few years for guys like Kennedy Erlocker and Tabron Benny Powell to be able to contribute at Notre Dame because they're still so raw. I have no doubt that uh, they could be good. They might not be. I mean, you know, when you look at the rankings historically, like these players that are ranked that low don't turn into future NFL players. And that's the type of caliber player that Notre Dame needs if they want to compete with the top of college football. The one encouraging thing for Notre Dame, though, is that it looks like they're not done yet when it comes to adding safeties. 
Four-star safety Malcolm Ziegler was just on campus for his official visit this past weekend, and he announced that he'll be making his commitment official on July 17th. It's always a good thing when a player takes his official visit to, his, to Notre Dame, and then he immediately announces his commitment date. Now, this one is a little bit farther away. He's not committing like this weekend, but it is encouraging that he decided to make that decision uh, to announce his decision right after a trip to Notre Dame. If they are able to get Tay Johnson and Malcolm Ziegler, that'd be four safeties in this class. I said they should take four because they just needed bodies, and we know how it goes in college football these days with guys leaving pretty pretty early. They get to campus, and then likely at least two out of the four will probably leave at some point in their careers because that's just how college football works nowadays. I've heard that Notre Dame leads for Ziglar, so that's encouraging. Uh, but I haven't seen anyone go as far as like putting in a crystal ball or an official projection for Ziglar to pick the Irish or anything like that. So we'll see what happens there. And then there's also Davis Andrews, who's the three-star safety out of Utah. I haven't mentioned him yet. Notre Dame is apparently in the lead for him. But the thing with Davis Andrews is uh, he's going to do a two-year Latter-day Saints mission trip after high school ends. So he wouldn't even arrive on campus at Notre Dame until 2026. So that could be potentially five safeties in this cycle, although Davis Andrews would technically be a part of the 2026 class, uh, even though he's right now he's in the 2024 recruiting cycle. Um, but I just, I'm going to be honest, I don't really count on those type of prospects to work out at Notre Dame. Um, I know that they do that all the time at like BYU, Utah, Mormon schools out in Utah, but Notre Dame hasn't had a great track record. I can't think of one at the top of my head of guys who ended up taking the mission trip and then ended up at Notre Dame and having uh, pretty prosperous careers. Remember when uh, Manti Teo, everyone thought that he was going to take his two-year mission trip and then that just never ended up happening. Uh, that was sort of a weird cloud that was hanging over that recruitment and really his time at Notre Dame because I think even after his freshman season, there were still some reports out there that he might take it. Now, obviously, he didn't, and he ended up having an amazing career at Notre Dame. So there is a world where Notre Dame ends up with five safety commits in this class. There's also a possibility that Notre Dame only ends up with three, when Erlacher, Johnson, um, and Tabron, Benny Powell. So number wise, numbers-wise, it's great that Notre Dame is getting more guys in the room because they desperately needed it. But quantity doesn't always lead to quality play in the field, and that's why I'm not certain this group is going to change the course of the back end of Notre Dame's defense down the road. I just don't understand why we're here in June and Notre Dame is so, I don't want to say anxious, I don't know if that's the right word, but anxious for lack of a better term to get these guys committed right now because there's several months to go in this recruiting cycle. If you look at the teams like Georgia, Ohio State, Alabama, the schools that are in it with a lot of five-star guys, those five-stars typically take their recruitments all the way down to the wire and it's risky. Sometimes you miss, and then sometimes you got to kind of patch things together on the fly. But right now, Notre Dame is taking guys, and you could even make the case guys that are not as talented or at least certainly not as experienced some other players in this cycle, especially at the safety position, just to get them committed. I don't really get that. Like, why was Notre Dame so eager to move on from Paul Mankey? Why were they so eager to move away from Oliver Miles? Two guys who, at one point, you're hearing reports that Notre Dame was leading for. I just don't get it. Adding Tay Johnson would be great if they get Ziggler, if they have four guys, that's awesome. But out of all four of those, really, Tay Johnson and Ziggler are the only ones that you think have a really good shot at doing well at the college level. And Erlacher and, and Benny Powell, I'm just not sold on them right now. There's still a lot of football to be played in their high school career, and then maybe they'll develop into you know pretty quality college prospects later on. But right now, I'm just not seeing it, and I don't understand the sense of urgency right now. Maybe we'll get some more clarity later on. Maybe there's things, you know, there's stuff, there's me sitting here, in my you know, garage studio talking to you on this podcast, and I'm sure that the Notre Dame coaching staff has their reasons, but I just love to know them. And frankly, right now from the outside looking in and from people I've talked to, 
I just haven't gotten any good answers. And I understand why fans are questioning some of these decisions. I am too. It's not the type of prospects that we were sort of promised once Marcus Freeman came on board. And I think that this is going to be a very interesting cycle for not just Chris O'Leary, but Al Golden, the Notre Dame defensive coordinator, because they're reaching on a lot of these guys, quite frankly. And time will tell if they work out. Maybe they will. Maybe they'll all turn into you know Ben Morrison's or Joe Alt's guys who were not recruited that highly, who ended up being studs at the college level. But history tells us that those guys are the exceptions, not the rules. So we're just going to have to wait and see. All right, coming up in segment three, we'll switch to the other side of the ball and evaluate how C.J. Carr stacks up with the other top quarterback prospects in the class of 2024 following the Elite 11 competition. Okay, I've been wanting to talk about the Elite 11 finals all week and specifically how C.J. Carr performed at the competition because I think there's a big misunderstanding how this all works. So if you're not familiar with the Elite 11 finals, let me just explain this real quickly. The Elite 11 finals include the top 20 quarterback prospects in the class every single year. It used to be run by Trent Dilfer, but not anymore because he's the head coach at UAB. But it's a great way to get the best prospects in the country in one place and compete against each other, not just on the field. They do classroom work. You know, they're diagnosing plays. They're doing whiteboard stuff with coaches who have been around the game for a really long time, and specifically the quarterback position. There's also counselors who are former Elite 11 participants who come back. Caleb Williams was there this year. Tuilia Tagovailoa was there. Jane Daniels was there. So then you've also got some of the top quarterbacks playing in college football who are there to teach, to mentor, to evaluate, and just to get to know these guys. And it really is a great indicator of future success because a lot of these players who end up winning – the Elite 11 Finals MVP end up being stud college football players. And it's a great way, too, for guys who maybe aren't in that upper echelon of quarterback prospects, like top five, to really skyrocket their recruitment. C.J. Stroud is a great example. He was a top prospect, at least in the top 20, but then he goes to the Elite 11. He actually beat out Bryce Young, and then his recruitment changed a lot. And then he ends up going to Ohio State, having a great college career, and ended up being the number two overall pick in this year's NFL draft. So, it's a, you know, it's a very good way to predict which of these quarterbacks are going to be great at the college level. So by itself, it's great that C.J. Carr was even there. He was in the competition. And by all accounts, or maybe not all accounts, I should say, he, he played really well. So the people in charge of the Elite 11, they have a scoring system. That's how this all works. It's every drill, everything they do, there's a point system, and then players are rewarded, and then they are ranked at the end of each day. The people in charge had C.J. Carr finishing right around fifth out of 20 overall prospects heading into the final day. So there's three days after day two, he was ranked fifth. They put out their rankings every day except the last one. They, this year, they did not put out rankings two through 11 at the end, but they did award Julian Sand, the five-star Alabama commit, as the MVP. Now, I've seen a lot of other outlets. They put out their top 10 or top 11 list every day with their reporters who are in attendance. And based on what they see, they're like, these are the top performing quarterbacks of the day. I understand why they're doing it. It's content. We all have jobs here. You got to put out rankings. People love lists. They love rankings. And they love to, you know, discuss them, analyze them, debate them, all that stuff. So I understand why 24-7 Sports, On3, all the sites, you know, they're sending their reporters out there. They're going to report back on what they saw. But the thing is, they didn't see everything. They also don't know how the scoring system works entirely. Only the people in charge of the Elite 11 know that. So I'm telling you, I, I don't think you should get all worked up about what these other rankings are saying. Trust the people in charge because they know it better than all of these other outlets out there. If C.J. Carr was ranked third in the accuracy competition, which he was, and then he was fifth heading into the last day, and then by all accounts on his last day he performed pretty well, worst case scenario is that he drops, what, a few spots, maybe eighth, maybe ninth? 
that's still pretty damn good out of top 20 quarterback prospects in the entire country. Now, I did see some rankings that didn't have him in the top 10, and I know Bruce Feldman from The Athletic and Fox Sports didn't even mention him in his write-up. I love Bruce, but between that and also putting Sam Hartman in the, the fourth tier of college quarterbacks today, I've got some questions for Bruce. He's still my guy. I still think he's one of the best reporters out there in college football, but those two mistakes are pretty glaring, and it's pretty funny. If you're a subscriber to The Athletic, go look at that article. Go look at that article and go look at the comments. Literally every single comment. I don't even know if they're from Notre Dame fans, but they're just fans out there that are like, "Was CJ Carr not there? What, what's up with that?" And a lot of people are going at him. He hasn't really commented publicly. At least I haven't seen it yet. But I did think that was odd, and I I saw a lot of Notre Dame fans getting worked up and being like, "Do these recruiting outlets? Do they have something against Notre Dame? Is there something against CJ Carr?" I don't. I don't really think that's the case, guys. I don't think that these reporters are like. Huh, CJ Carr had an outstanding day, but I'm not going to rank him just to piss off Notre Dame fans. Like, that sounds pretty ridiculous to me. Now, I still don't understand why they didn't have him in the top eight or nine because clearly he was really good. But if they thought he finished, you know, 12th or something and then he ends up getting omitted from the rankings, you know, so be it. All right. But that's the thing. I don't think we need to put too much stock into what those guys write because, or if, and what they write as it pertains to Elite 11, because I just think we should trust the people in charge. And the people in charge said that C.J. Carr did really well. I saw some other people who said that out of all the quarterbacks, he was definitely one of the more accurate ones. He doesn't quite have the arm strength of a Dylan Rayola, who's the number one overall prospect in the entire country. He's committed to Georgia. Georgia actually had two prospects at the Elite 11, so two quarterback commits in the top 20 in the entire country, and they're both competing against each other in the Elite 11, like, I just all the time, man, you just hear stuff that they're doing. Like, they're just different over there, okay? And eventually Notre Dame is probably going to have to play them again. They played them twice already under Kirby Smart, and Notre Dame was close both times, but Georgia is at a different level now than they were back in 2019. So, anyway, I think that we should all be very encouraged about what C.J. Carr did, regardless of what On3 says, regardless of what 24-7 Sports says, regardless of what Bruce Feldman says, because the people in charge of the Elite 11 – have their scoring system, and in that and by those metrics, C.J. Carr looked really good. And guess what? He had the opportunity to compete against the best quarterbacks in the country, and it's great for him. It's great for his confidence, and also maybe a little bit of a chip on his shoulder now that he didn't get uh, quite the reaction that maybe he would have hoped. I'm sure that he thought he was going to win the MVP going into it, and it didn't happen, okay? Maybe he uses that as motivation for his senior year and has a great senior year because, let's be honest, as great as the Elite 11 is, Having a great season on the field this season is more important to him, more important to his recruiting ranking, but most importantly, it's it's much better for his development and what he will be able to do once he gets on campus at Notre Dame uh, next spring when he's in early and early. So look, I still have a bunch of faith in C.J. Carr that he's going to do well at the college level. He might not have like the insane physical traits that some of these other quarterbacks do, but he's very polished. Great football family, great football pedigree, and by all accounts, he's a great kid, great work ethic, who I think will thrive at the college level once he gets his chance. So I'm excited to see him play. I think this is great for him, and it's fun debate for fans in the summer because, look, man, it's June. There's not a whole lot of college football talk going on out there, but it gave us something to talk about on this podcast today. But that is actually going to do it for this episode today. Thanks, as always, for making this your first listen of the day. On the way out, please subscribe to the show on YouTube or wherever you're listening to the pod, and follow the show on Twitter at Lockdown Irish on Instagram at Lockdown Irish Pod and my personal Twitter account at Tyler Wojak. That's at Tyler W O J C I A K. Enjoy the weekend, everybody, and I'll see you early next week.